Let's take our Bibles back to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 together. As we ended the service on Sunday night, and I briefly mentioned about, in verse 21, about not discouraging our children, before I get into this last passage about servants and masters in chapter 3, I want to revisit, there was a few things I didn't say about how we discourage our children, and really it has to do with how anyone gets discouraged, not just children, and uh, the first verse on that would be back in the book of Numbers. That's not in the Bible very much, that word discourage, because God spends more time trying to encourage us and for us to take good courage instead of dwelling on our discouragement. But if you go back to the book of Numbers, there's a couple of verses there that talk about how discouragement can take hold of people. And I think it would be worth reading him. In Numbers chapter 21, the Bible says in verse number 4, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. So, the way of difficulty, the the long journey, the hard trip, just the circumstances of life as you travel in the way, if the way is not easy or convenient, can bring discouragement in people. I do believe, and I think you can see that with the children of Israel, that God did toughen them up. But, you know, you have to understand in the toughening process, people can get discouraged. You understand what I'm saying? So our goal is to toughen people up where the way will not break their heart or destroy their heart. But we need to be very conscious of, hey, though this journey may be easy for me, it may not be as easy for others. That's why a lot of people, they get on the mission field and uh, sometimes discouragement sets in because it's a harder life than they could have dreamed it would have been. And um, life itself is like that. And God doesn't want us to be discouraged no matter what road we have to travel because we get to travel the road with Jesus. And if we're traveling the road with Jesus, then we don't, we don't have to be discouraged. And so we should not allow the things of, of, of our circumstances control whether we're encouraged or discouraged. Our encouragement needs to come from the Lord. David encouraged himself in the Lord, though he didn't have good circumstances around him. But he encouraged himself in the Lord, so we have to do that. But what I'm saying is, as you're traveling the way, and even with your family, with other people, if you know that the way is a discouraging way, then maybe we need to double up on our encouraging. You understand? If people are discouraged, we'll try to encourage them. And uh, we do want people to toughen up, but you, you have to also be an encourager. 
Because the, the way is hard. And I said the other day, you know, being a young person, some of us forgot how hard it was to grow up. Every part of growing up isn't easy. And so we don't need to discourage our children. They go through things and through times in their life, they need encouragement. They don't just need correction. They need encouragement in the way. They do need both. They need correction. But if they're only getting corrected and not getting encouraged then we're failing to see some of the need there. So this way was a hard way to travel. You go from Egypt all of a sudden, and then you have to travel this great distance through the wilderness. It's a rough, it's a rough journey. God's with them, but they are discouraged because of the way. So we need, we need to understand many times in other people's lives, in our own families, what's going on in the way. If it's rough, uh, Give them some encouragement. Maybe you can't change the way life is, but you can encourage somebody. Numbers 32. Here, here's, here's the other one. Now, now this is totally in our, in, in our power to change. I can't change that somebody got a cancer diagnosis. I, there's, I called Brother Fulour this week to try and encourage him. I, I can't do anything about that. This discouragement in Numbers 32, we can do everything about it. In Numbers chapter 32, the Bible says in verse uh, number 7, Moses is talking to these about going into the land, and he says in Numbers 32, 7, And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them. Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. Verse 9. For when they went up unto the valley of Eskel and saw the land. Watch it. They discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time. And he swears, saying, surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt uh, are going, going to get to go on the land, etc. So, so what he say that they got discouraged because somebody had a lack of faith. So, so watch this now. When he says, he tells us about our children especially, lest they be discouraged. There are several things that will discourage them. If we provoke them to anger, that will discourage them. If we have a lack of faith, that will discourage them. Listen, if a parent is being critical of everybody and everything, you are going to discourage your child. If you can have faith in no one, nobody, they're going to be discouraged. If you can't have faith that you've got a good church and you've got a good Bible and you've got a good life, are you listening? You are going to discourage them just because you don't have any faith. Those spies that came up out of the land, they discouraged the rest of the people because they, all they had was a negative report. So that's my next thing. You know how you discourage others? With our, we discourage them with our lack of faith. And by the way, the opposite of that, if you want to encourage somebody, just have great faith. You'll excite somebody. Amen. When the church exercises more faith, 
in missions, in the work of God, it encourages people. All our guys, all of our people that went out, amen, to out west to the, to the Navajo place came back encouraged. And they, they didn't come back with negative reports. They came back, it was exciting. Man, look what God's doing. Look what we got to do. And that's, it. that's encouraging. Not just for them, it's encouraging to other people. But when everything is negative, you know what those spies came back and did? Oh, the giants. Oh, the walls. Right? We can't do it. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Our negativity is discouraging. You understand? Maybe, maybe we need to have a, a, a message designated as the positive message and get brother, brother Joel to preach it. I, I, I love Brother Joel. Whenever I'm around, and, and I'm not trying to puff up Brother Joel, whenever I get around Brother Joel, I get encouraged because he's always positive. If, if the house is falling down, well, amen. Isn't that right, Miss Hannah? I mean, he's always, that's just the way he is. There is something encouraging about someone that has a positive attitude of faith. And somebody that's always negative. Guys, you know why I think the, the, the younger generation don't want to go to church? We have been so stinking negative about everything that they're discouraged. They don't even want to have a part in it. If they think that going out on the street or being a witness is a drag or going to church and the preacher preached too long is a drag or so-and-so in the church is weird and these people are... Guys, if in a Sunday school class is this and that and the nursery and this woman and the sound system and... Are you listening to me? We are the vessels of discouragement so many times. Amen. And how many young people grew up at a table where everything was always negative and everything was not, not full of faith and not full of excitement. And those kids growing up at that table said, I'll tell you one thing, when I get out of this, I ain't never looking back. And so they go off for something they think is positive because out in the world, you know, they're, they're having a great time until they're throwing up over a toilet bowl. But they're positive about their vomit. Is that not true? Oh, we had a great time. <laughs> what, you had a great time burning out your brain cells? You had a great time getting sick, but that's what they say, don't they? We had a great time. It's all fake, but they're positive about it. Mm. Let's not be the source of discouragement for our children or for one another. Amen. Lack of faith. Don't you like being around people that it's going to work out? That's why I, I don't I don't I don't watch the news. I'll be discouraged. 
It's all negative. Matter of fact, if they don't have anything negative to say, they, they can't even have a show. Not positive. But the Bible's full of positivity. And, and that's why, why we're, we're preaching through this thing. If we're just emphasizing the negative passages of the Bible and not the goodness of God and the thankfulness that we ought to have and the encouragement that we can receive and what's waiting for us as children of God, we're going to stay discouraged. We need to be people of faith and people that aren't discouraged or discouraging others. And uh, so anyway, I wanted to finish that. That's not tonight, but I guess it was for a time. Verse 22. Here's where our text starts, where we picked up, where we left off last time. Colossians 3, verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. And as we go through this, we've told you that every one of these entities, whether they are a wife or a husband or a child or a father or a servant, will have something to say about how this is so terribly hard to do. Think if you were in the place of a servant. Now, People have taken this New Testament verse and just applied it to the workforce, which it's a whole lot more than that. But I'll read to you some other verses about servants and masters. He said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 5, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and the singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, Doing the will of God from the heart. Be turning with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And while you're turning to 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'll read Titus 2.9. He says, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. You know, if a child does not learn not to talk back to their parents, do you think that they will learn not to answer again to their employer? No, it will continue on through every facet of their life. You're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'll read you one more verse. He said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endured grief, suffering wrongfully. He said, even if you've got a bad master, then you need to still be obedient and, and not just be thankful if he's a good and gentle master, but be thankful even if he is a bad one. You see how the New Testament just raises the bar on every one of us? In everything of life. And every one of us, I even heard it today, somebody was giving testimony about trying to talk to somebody about the Lord. Every one of us can give an excuse in everything of life of why we shouldn't do what we know God has told us to do. And that's the same way with these servants. 
First Timothy chapter six, verse number one. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the Lord's, words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says verse 4, is proud, knowing nothing. This is about servants and masters. This is about how we relate to people that are over us in authority as grown people. And he said, when you don't submit yourself and obey your authority as a servant, and here's your master, he said, what you've really done is you've blasphemed the name of God and his doctrine. And you know, he says the same thing about the, the ladies when they when they when they're not obedient to their husbands. And I'd say that's the same thing with the children when they're not it's really all a blasphemy to God, you see. Servants. Now in our text in the book of Colossians, we're introduced to one of those people. If you move from Colossians chapter 3 and you go to chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Drop down to verse number 9. With, you see that guy's name? Onesimus, verse 9. A faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, now, if you go back and read the book of Philemon, if you remember when we went through that, that book, Philemon, verse 16, calls Onesimus a servant. He was Philemon's servant. Now, guys, when the Bible talks about servants, he's talking about a whole lot more than just the relationship you have at your workplace. Now, before I get into that, there's really three kind of servants in the Bible. Um, before I get into that, you remember when Jesus... You say, why would somebody want to exalt the position of a servant? That's, you know, one of the types of servants is a slave. That's not the only kind of servant in the Bible. There's a hired servant, there's a bond servant, and then God talks about slaves. But that's not something any man wants to be. Onesimus was in that relationship with Philemon. And Paul sent him back to his master to submit himself to him. And, and people in our society say, well, see there, that shows how the Bible is out of touch and it's not really a moral book. But what they don't understand is the one who created us took upon himself the form of a servant. You see, God would, not, would never ask us to do something he's not already fulfilled. Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant. Can you imagine the creator letting a sinful man and woman tell him what to do? And he knew what was in their hearts. He knew when they weren't even right with God. And he was always right with God. You think that might be a pretty hard... And he just, he took a form of a servant. He went to church. This is, I always pull this out with people that are always too good to be faithful to church. Jesus Christ submitted himself every week and went to the synagogue. 
The one that wrote the Bible. The one that was the Word made flesh had to sit there and listen to rabbis and hypocrites. How many times do you think Jesus could have stood up and said, you know, that's not what that means. Like a million? You know, he never said a word. He just sat there faithfully in church like a good servant until it was his time. Now, when it was his time, he got up and took the book. But he waited 30 years to do that. He just, he made himself servant. How many times do you think Joseph went and said, son, now this is the way you do this. Don't you hate it when somebody tells you to do something and you know that's not the way to do it? Don't you know that Joseph tried to tell him, now son, here's the way you do this carpentry work. And the Lord says, I know 15,000 ways to do that better. I mean, he made the whole world. You know what he did? He made himself subject to his. That's one of the, that's probably the highest Christian ideal place that we could ever is the place of a servant. Jesus said to his own disciples, whoever you is going to be chiefest is the servant of all. That's what the whole book of Mark's about. It's about being a servant. The book of Mark shows Jesus Christ as a servant. Matthew shows Jesus Christ as a king. And John shows Jesus Christ as God. Luke shows Jesus Christ as a man. And Mark, the whole purpose of the gospel of Mark is to show you Jesus Christ as a humble servant. Why did he put a whole gospel in the Bible to teach me how to be a servant? Because it's way up on his list. I mean, look at our text right here, guys. We're in Colossians chapter 3. Tell me, speak to me. How many verses does he give to the wives? How many? One. How many verses does he give to the husband? How many? One. How many does he give to the children? One. How many does he give to the fathers? How many does he give to the servants? 22, 23, 24, and probably 25 goes with them too. I think maybe, maybe, listen, we would be better children if we'd learn to be a servant. We'd be better fathers if we'd learn to be better servants. We would, we would be better husbands and wives if we were the servants that we ought to be, if we had that heart of a servant. You know, when... Peter and Paul and James and Jude, when they wrote their epistles, you know what they wanted to be known about? You know how they, they, they wrote their name on an epistle? They would say, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. In other words, like the highest idea, the thing that I could really, not doctor, not lawyer, not pastor, not pope, not priest, servant. That's what the Lord wants us to be. That's what he wants us to learn to be. So this is what he does. He puts us in positions in our lives that we have to learn how to serve. And he'll put us in a place where we have to do what someone else tells us to do or we're supposed to. And throughout the Bible, that's over and over again. And the Bible even tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, it says uh, that we should be a servant unto all. He said in Galatians 5, 13, by love serve one another. 
We're supposed to be servants to each other. That's that's supposed to be the Christian life. And so we can take verse 22, since that is what God tells us to be as Christians like Jesus, we can take verse 22, verse 23, verse 24, and we can apply that to all of us. Whether we're a wife or or, or we're we're single, whether we're a a father or, or whether we don't have any children, or whether we're a young person, or or whatever we are, God wants us to be a servant. We're called to follow His steps in that regard. Now, I told you, there are three types of servants. Go to Leviticus chapter 25. Just give this real quick to you. Now, I'm not going to deal with the subject of slavery. I could do that. I have got a book that I'm ready to publish on slavery, but I've had it that way for about 25 years and I don't want to go to jail, so I'm not going to publish it. I'm just kidding about that. But let me say this about, about slavery. The institution of slavery has been a, a horrendous institution. It had to do with people selling their own people for their benefit. That's what a lot of people don't understand about slavery, whether it was you know, the, the gypsies were slaves long before the black people were. The Indians, when I, I was a missionary in Romania, so we have a whole culture of, 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 of gypsies there. They're all from India. And they were sold into slavery for the European countries. But somebody had to be a participant in that. And what was, it was, it was a certain class of people that were selling their own people to be enriched. That's the same thing that happened in Africa. It was Africans selling other Africans into slavery so they would benefit and prosper because of it. Anyway, so there's all types of slavery going all the way back through history. And it doesn't have to do with any race. But in the Bible, when God talks about... By the way, there are slaves. The word slave is mentioned in the Bible two times. Okay, When somebody says every time the word servant's mentioned, that's really slavery. That's not quite true. Because the Bible... The Bible knows the difference between the word servant and slave. Okay? And so slave is in the Bible twice. Jeremiah 2.14 and Revelation chapter 18 verse 13. And the word slavery has to do with Babylon the great. It has to do more with enslaving someone, not just their body, but enslaving their person. You know, you you can be in jail, but you can be free. But Babylon the great... They, they dealt in slaves, the Bible says, and souls of men. In other words, they owned, the devil had ownership of them, that, that religion had ownership over them. And they were in, there, there's a lot of people that are slaves that, that don't even know it. Guys, we have some of the biggest slavery going on in our own country. They're slaves to ideology. They're slaves to people that have lied to them. They're blind and brainwashed and controlled like, like, little, like, like you'd control uh, people that don't even have a mind. Enslaved by the deception and thoughts of others. So the, slavery is a form of servitude. But there are two other types of, of servitude in the Bible. Not just servitude as in taking a race or the ungodliness of a people and all, and all that goes along with that. But 
in, in Leviticus chapter 25, look what it says in verse number 35. And if thy brother be waxen poor and fallen in decay with thee, then thou shalt relieve him. Yea, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with thee. Take thou no usury of him or increase, but fear thy God that thy brother may live with thee. Uh, I, I, where am I? Verse 30, drop down to verse number uh, 39. And if thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor, watch it now, and be sold unto thee. Do you see that? Thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bondservant. But as a hired servant and as a sojourner, he shall be with thee and shall serve thee under the year of Jubilee. Now, so there's a hired servant, there's a slave servant, there's a bond servant. And you say, what's the difference between a bond servant and a slave servant? A bond servant is someone that doesn't have their own personal liberties. They don't have liberty over their bodies. They don't have liberty over uh, whatever they want to do. That, that is what a bond servant is. Uh, but there's a difference between a bond servant and a slave. A bond servant was somebody that was so poor and had so much debt that for a time he had to sell himself to pay off his debt. Do you remember when we were going through the book of Proverbs when the Bible says this? Now, you, you, listen, the borrower is servant to the lender. You remember that verse? In other words, if you are indebted to someone else, then until that debt is paid, they have control over you. Now, in our culture, we don't believe people have to pay their debt. And that's why people think they can sin and God doesn't care. That's why people think they can sin and they don't have to be saved. Because I don't have to pay my debts. I don't have to pay them to anybody else. I just declare bankruptcy and I don't have to pay anybody. But see, that's not the way God works. We all had a debt to pay, didn't we? And Jesus paid that debt. Jesus didn't go to the Lord, to the Father and say, Father, just forget about that debt. He didn't do that. He had to pay the debt. Because God is honest and God is just. The debt has to be paid. In the Bible, when somebody couldn't pay their debt, they became a bondservant. Now, that wasn't forever. That was until the debt was relinquished. And God even had a day when you get to a certain year, everybody gets to go free because God never intended for a whole group of people to stay in complete servitude or be a bondservant forever. That wasn't his, his plan. His plan was, okay, you owe a debt, you pay your debt, and then you get on with your life. But by the way, the deeper in debt you get, the bigger a bondservant you are. So remember that. And everything in your life will start to be controlled by that debt. The decisions you make, because the thing on the back of your mind is, hey, I, I owe the bank. Right? I can't just do whatever I want. I owe the bank. It's sort of funny. They erased all those college loans. They didn't erase 
our house loans. Did they? Why don't we have a movement about that? Because people know that's insanity. You can't do that. But when you are deep in debt, you're a bond servant. And that's what happened in the Bible. And so someone was sold unto someone else. They were controlled by that individual until that debt got paid. That continued on in the New Testament. There are also hired servants. Now, you can't apply. He talks about a hired servant. Now, if you've got a job, you're, if, if you've got a job and you work for a company or whoever you work for, that's what you are. You are a hired servant. <laughs> you're a hired servant. You know what that means? That means you're not really totally free. How many, pers- how many people have a job that would really like to be free on Friday? And the, I can't because I got to work. In other words, when you become a hired servant, they are controlling your time. Because they're paying you for it. And by the way, that's why people don't even like to get jobs no more. They don't want a job. They don't want anybody controlling their time. Now, if, if, you're, if you're a good boss, you can be your own boss. But you know what's wrong with that many times? People can't be their own boss because you're a sorry boss and a sorry worker. <laughs> you, you would let yourself off too much. Now, great is the the individual that has enough discipline to be a good boss for their own self. That's great. But everybody can't do that. So take all of what I just said and go back to Colossians. You can apply this, yes, if you are a hired servant, if you're working for Toyota or... Sweet Springs Baptist Church or the water company or Monty, you're working for Gail. I mean, you can apply it in so many different places. I'm kidding. Verse 22, Colossians 3.22. Servants obey in, what does he say? All things? I got to do everything my boss says? Guys, I'm telling you what, we are training our children to be terrible employees. Because they don't have to do all things that anybody says. Now, we've already said there's a caveat there. Somebody tells you to do something against the Bible, that's a different story. There's a higher authority, a higher law than anybody else's law. We have that. But if it's, if it's, if it's not against the written word of God, he said, Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And then he, he said, you want to be a good servant? Don't just do what you're told. Do it with the right attitude. Look at it, verse 22. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. He said, don't just do everything they say. Do it. Uh, not just pleasantly in front of them when they're watching you, but do a great job with a great attitude even when they're not around. Don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it with uh, uh, despising them. We already read that verse. <laughs> I'm going to do it, but I can't stand you. 
Okay, doesn't that start early? Is there any wonder why we don't have good citizens anymore? Because we never start learning to be servants as, as in our youth. He tells us, we read the verse about not answering again. The attitude is good. Guys, it's not enough for our, our families, our, our children to be obedient. It's, it's the attitude they're doing it in. It's not just good enough for a wife to do what her husband says. It's the attitude she does it in. It's not not good enough just for the men to, to do what God tells us to do. It's doing it with the right attitude. Doing it fearing God. Doing it in singleness of heart. Part of me is not saying, I don't want to do this. No, no, I'm doing it with all my heart. You see verse 23, whatsoever you do it heartily. Do it with all your heart. God help us to serve the Lord that way. To do it with all our heart, not not grudgingly. Well, I've got to give. Well, I've got to teach. Well, I've got to witness. Well, I've got to help in the nursery. Well, I've got to clean the church. It's not... Let's do it with our whole heart. Let's be good servants. I mean, you you don't want a bunch of kids with a bunch of bad attitudes, do you? I feel like I'm just right where I need to be. Guys, we are so guilty of the same things we can't stand in other people. And he says, do you know how hard it would be to be a bond servant? And he tells them, do that with a good attitude. (laughs) I bet people would leave the church over that message. If that's what they were. I can't believe he preached that I have to go to my my master and he doesn't treat me right. And I've got to do all he says and I've got to do it with a good attitude. Yeah, because there's a bigger principle. As you're serving. Look look at our text. He said in verse 23, Do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Over and over again he tells us what we are doing. We're not doing it for men. We're doing it for Jesus. And guys, it doesn't matter if you work construction. It doesn't matter if you work at the bank. It doesn't matter if you work in the school system. It doesn't matter if you work on the arsenal. It doesn't doesn't matter what your job is. God tells us as servants, everything we're doing, we're to be doing it to Jesus. He said, what does Jesus have to do with me counting money at my bank branch? Everything if you let it be. Lord, I'm trying to be a good employee for you. I wonder how many Christians that work in the workforce are working for Jesus as they, as they teach school or keep daycare or work at the plant. Am I in the Bible or am I just... If, if Simon and Joel are putting a roof on their house, on somebody's house, to make however much money they're going to make to pay their bills... They ought to be doing that for Jesus, according to the Bible. Do you know how that would revolutionize your job? Because, guys, if it's just about paying the bills, what a drag. 
What a discouragement. But man, if I get to go to work today to be a secretary and do it for Jesus, or if I get to be at home keeping all these wild kids at my house, amen, that my husband and I had, if I can do this for Jesus, you see, everything we're supposed to be doing, we're supposed to be doing it for Jesus. You know what he says? He says to the humble, lowly servant, not the pastor, not the apostle, not the missionary, he says to the servant, he says, you know what's going to happen? If you'll do what you're doing as to me and not your master on earth, you know what he says I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a reward. Did, did you read that? There is a reward for you. And Jesus said, I'm going to give that to you. Yeah, you that dug ditches for a living or, or, or constructed houses or were an engineer, whatever you do. He said, verse 24, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. What I really believe is God rewards real service. Whether it's service on a mission field, whether it's service in a pulpit, whether it's service to give a cup of cold water, whether it's service in a nursing home, whether it's service in the nursery, whether it's service, amen, at your job, if you have the right heart, if you have the right attitude, if you're doing it for Jesus, God gives you a reward for your faithful service. No matter what you're doing, if you're doing it for Him. But how many of us, what we do, we're doing it for Him. And he says in verse number 25, But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. What a statement. God doesn't care if you're a servant or if you're a master or who you are. He cares about if you've got the heart of a servant. And he's going to pass out the rewards. And the people that get them are not just the ones that were in full-time Christian service because if we have a proper view of the Bible, every one of us are in full-time Christian service. I just have a different position here than you've got there. But we're all part of the same body and we're all supposed to be serving the Lord because He is the Master and I am the servant. And God, if you want me to drive a truck, if you want me to keep elderly people, if you want me to have a home business, whatever you want me to do, I want to be a good servant. 